infrastructure power power the infrastructure power is grid um, power. the grid Hi, and welcome to the Johnny Random Show. Today's topic is energy and infrastructure. The first thing, um, recently, if you're watching this in 2022, um, Joe Biden has introduced a plan, an infrastructure package that is very, very watered down from what it originally was, and it is... Um, not good, in my opinion, uh, as far as like what's actually in it. And what they said was going to be in it was decent, but then what actually made it into it was pretty uh, watered down and not not very good. Um, <clears throat> I know Trump uh, had a plan or infrastructure week, I think all four years of his presidency, and each time he never passed anything or actually proposed anything. So it was a lot of talk and uh, it never actually came through. Um, and so far, Joe Biden is the uh, same thing. He's a lot of talk, and there's really nothing to show for it so far. Um, so, yeah, Matt, do you have any uh, thoughts on this infrastructure package? I know um, it isn't talked about much right now, just with everything going on with Ukraine and in the world in general, and COVID was kind of overshadowing even when it was going on. Um, but I know when Joe Biden started originally, he was the was trying to be very FDR-like, at least that was his, what he said, was trying to uh, get some things done in that respect. Um, but uh, if you know anything about the infrastructure package, you can comment on that. Um, but also you can uh, go into a larger than that. Do you think that we're at the point where we need uh, governments to step in and upgrade some of this infrastructure? But I know it's a lot. Well, when FDR... Uh, came into power, there was a tremendous amount of pressure to do a couple of things. One thing was that there was a lot of unemployment, and that was due to the Great Depression. Uh, so he was trying to solve the unemployment crisis, and that really was the driving factor. There was a lot of labor, and it really wasn't that expensive. So when he pushed out the infrastructure um, that he did with that, and then also, then again, at the end of World War II, when we had all those soldiers coming home, there was a tremendous amount of labor that was available. Um, so it was a perfect time to really kick in that infrastructure, and that's when you had the, the highway system really getting um, tremendously uh, modernized and, and upgraded. So there was a lot of uh, in, available labor. Uh, can I translate that real quick? So basically yeah. you're saying there was an appetite for it, and there was the uh, – the season was ripe so to speak there was people and labor and so those that's why it happened and when fdr did it and also after the great depression i'm right. sorry after world war ii is when these infrastructure obviously eisenhower um sanctioned the highway system is that what you're saying well i'm saying that the the primary thing is not whether there's money for it congress can do everything that it can to try to encourage it and if you throw enough money at a problem it'll usually go away as long as your money uh, doesn't you know destroy your economy, but my point is that it's going to take a lot more money because there's not a lot of labor to throw at it. Oh, I see. Yeah, right now we're actually in the opposite situation. So we have a ton of people who have 
so many possibilities for work right now. And that's just talking of, of the ones who've come in legally. The illegal aliens are also in no shortage of, of ability to find work. So there's not a lot of people really looking for that, that particular fix. So I think it's a little bit less, it's just an apples and oranges type of situation between what FDR, FDR did and what, um, what Biden could conceivably do. Aside from that, I also have to recall that it, the president is not responsible for passing any legislation. Uh, he's influenced not, um, not actually direct power. The, that's the beautiful thing about our system. So I would lay any blame for this situation um, upon the, the Congress for under both presidents. Uh, our Congress is definitely fractured and there's a lot of, um, how shall I put this, corruption <laughs> that, that is really handicapping our ability to do anything because we're we're just trying not to to allow terribly corrupt people to to stay in office right now. Like our entire focus is trying to get corruption out of out of office, and it's sidetracking any ability to get things done. Not that it's bad. As a matter of fact, I think that does need to be the priority, but it shouldn't have to be. And that's the reason that we have so much of a problem with this infrastructure. Um, so, but infrastructure is also much broader than it used to be. Uh, infrastructure used to be roads and rails and bridges and uh, telephone lines. And now we also have internet uh, <laughs> and the internet itself is just so so broad. Like you've also got the carriers that, uh, that then do it, the cell phone towers, the satellite communications. Satellites, yep. Exactly. And all of that plays into infrastructure, not to mention the logistics that go behind the infrastructure and the fact that the United States has no capacity to create, uh, to, to manufacture the chips. So the chips that are needed to, to do the 5G thing with the phones, we can't make them. We don't have the facilities to do it. So that seems like uh, a part of infrastructure that should be considered. Now, uh, to that, uh, in the State of the Union speech that uh, Biden gave back uh, last month now, maybe two months ago, February, uh, this year, he mentioned that they're going to put money towards uh, making a chip uh, facility in Ohio, and so he's uh, allocated a lot of funds to that. and And I know that making that facility and making that technology um, is something that is such a cost costly thing. Yeah, that no, not a lot of private companies are willing to take that burden on. And so it leaves sort of like, this needs to be done. We need to sort of be more independent when it comes to these chips and our, and so our tech uh, industry and our car industry, manufacturing industry. So a lot of these chips are used in our cars and our computers um, are all made in China. And with China being shut down one day and then open the next day with lockdowns and up, you know, whatever. And then, you know, barges getting caught in the Suez Canal and then 40 of them sitting off the coast and the supply chain disaster fiasco we've had for over a year now. I think it's been so apparent that this needs to be done. And so um, do you think that that's a good thing or um, uh, do you support that? I guess what I'm asking. Yeah, I would say I do. So the 
the initial infrastructure for a lot of different things has been set up by the government from the telephone lines to um, many of the train lines and things like that. However, I will say that generally speaking, a well-regulated, and I'm not saying completely free market, but well-regulated in ways that it should, because the government has things that it should regulate and things that it shouldn't, um, but a well-regulated free market would actually generally do things better with lower cost because they have to figure out a way to do it. But you have to have the initial investment made in order for that to work um, because there are a lot of things that need to happen that the initial investment is so huge that nobody would take it on. But if they could have a piece of the pie when the, when the government splits it up later, then it would work. So um, I think privatization would possibly work as long as you can guarantee that, that monopolies don't continue or don't happen from it. Because that was really, really when you get a monopoly that everything that free market gives you as far as competition, the second you get a monopoly is out the window. Yeah. Unfortunately, government is also a monopoly, but it has um, a very weak partner in the public that can sometimes cause things to happen. Well, so, it's a monopoly that in theory you can vote out of office if you don't like uh, the direction that the monopoly is going. And yeah. uh, I understand with incumbency and uh, the money in politics and, uh, you know, the forces aren't there, um, which is something that we we constantly um, need to work on reforming for sure. Um, but, you know, one thing you said that uh, I wanted to address when you said, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, oh, excuse me. <coughs> oh, and it was in there. Yeah, one thing I wanted to address when you were saying um, about uh, monopoly power and, uh, but you know, the government needing to step in and do that. Um, I think that, you know, on the conservative side, there's a tendency to just like, no, 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 limited government, limited government, limited government. Um, the government, uh, the private sector can do it better. Well, if the private sector can do it better, why haven't they built chips here? The fact of the matter is the private sector is the reason we have our chips coming from China, you know, and the private sector is the reason why we are, you know, getting our cars from overseas. The, China is, I mean, the free market is the reason why we've outsourced a lot of things. It's because it's cheaper mm. over there. So that's the free market, you know, thing. And so that's kind it's the of specialization true. of power. If they're better at doing something, not specialization of power, uh, division of labor thing, they're better at doing it, then they can do it. And we do the things that we're good at. And it works until it doesn't work, you know, like that's well, the, big, it, the big key, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's interference, a lot of interference. So one thing is there are laws in the United States and in most countries uh, around the world having to do with um, intellectual property. So if you develop something, then you should have the right to actually bring it to the market and to profit from it. If you put in all that time and research, then you should profit from it. However, in, in China, it is not respected. They have no respect for international laws. So they have an advantage by doing that. Oh, they don't have to spend money on research. All they have to do is basically steal from their perspective, not stealing, because this is all things that they can just reverse engineer. They still have to do the work to reverse engineer it, but they have um, appropriated a lot of uh, technologies that have been developed by other people that they didn't technically have a right to do. And then those companies um, 
other companies, not the ones who developed it, then benefit from buying from China at cheaper prices. So there's that. There's also taxation, which diverts things in different directions and causes the uh, basically like putting rocks in the middle of the river to turn it the way that you want to. Free market doesn't exist when it comes to gasoline in the United States. So much of the money that you spend at the pump goes to different <laughs> taxation. Like there's, it's really, it's, it's pretty crazy, but the gasoline companies or the gasoline stations, I should say, not the companies, but the stations don't make any money off of gas. Their primary thing that they sell, they don't they make they don't make money off of it. <laughs> they make money off of the snacks and the little odds and ends that you buy. Buy some uh, batteries while you're there, you know, chewing gum, the soda. Those are the things that they make money off of. They make money off of being convenient because you're already there to get gas. Um, so I wouldn't call that a complete free market. Uh, so th that's, that's what I'm trying to get at is that the free market that we think that we have is not entirely free, whether or not I'm, there's a good reason for those taxes. I'm, I'm extremely confused because when you say that that's not a free market, how is that not a free market? Uh, how did the government create that other than the fact that there's taxes in there. And so are you saying that there should be lower taxes and then the companies would raise their profits or raise their prices so that they could get a profit and that would be more free market? I, I'm not sure I'd understand sure. your argument there. So right now, the gas stations that we have are not making any money off of the their main product, right? So why are they selling it? They're selling it because they figured out that there was another product that they could sell along with it. Um, the markets are responding to taxes. So, for instance, uh, I mean, I guess gasoline is not so great an illustration because it's roughly the same from place to place. Um, but in Rhode Island, if you buy clothing, you're not going to pay any taxes on it. Rhode Island doesn't charge uh, clothing tax. However, if you go to Connecticut or Mass, you do. So the businesses that have grown up along the borders have been um, tailored by this taxation law. Now, if um, Massachusetts or Connecticut were to then drop their clothing taxes, then things would shift around. The free market always responds to taxes. And so, for instance, with the car industries, um, we actually are using tax laws right now, tax incentives and payouts and things like that in order to try to keep automotive manufacturing in the United States and keep it from going overseas. So, but why did, why did, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just like not following because like, to me, what you're saying is like, you're looking at the situation today and then, but you're not rolling it back. How did it get there? Why did they go overseas if, if it wasn't for cheaper labor, if it wasn't for these free market factors, if we did have tariffs, so it made it more expensive to go overseas, they would just do it here. They would innovate and find a way to do it cheaper. But because we just sort of allow our country to be exploited in a way um, that you could say, some people might say, um, I don't necessarily fully subscribe to that but that if you were 
I mean, that's the whole Trump thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like Trump was the one saying like, okay, we're, we're being, um, you know, bamboozled by these other countries that, um, you know, are, are doing are are letting our businesses go overseas. And so we need to stop doing that. The NAFTA, the free trade agreement, um, all these different things is it needs to be changed and incentives change the structure there. And I don't think it has much to do with taxes um, so much as supply and demand and also, you know, the incentive structure so that we talked about. So I think that you know, and this is one of the things that I think I brought up in one of the other videos that we did where we talked about, um, you know, I don't think that we should be um, have, uh, we need to have a strategic mindset when it comes to what things we need to make in America, what we need to produce, what our infrastructure, and these are things that I would put into that infrastructure cat category, manufacturing, uh, energy production, um, certain agricultural goods and commodities, things like that, we need to be able to make at least, you know, 40% of our consumption needs to come from the United States. We cannot just let the free market, free market dictate everything. You know, that that's the, the role of government is partially so that we don't screw ourselves over so that we don't let other people screw us over and take advantage of us. That is uh, part of the part of the calculation here. And so, um, I mean, I don't disagree with everything you were saying. I just don't mm -hmm. know how that really in the broad scheme of things is exactly the issue, you know, is insofar as like taxation. You know, and what I'm trying to say with the taxation thing is that free market is not entirely free. It, there's not a, a there's not a place where everything is completely governed by free market principles. Everything is governed by taxes. Everything is governed by um, forces that are outside of the free market, primarily from government, whether it be through regulations or taxations. Um, so that's that's all I'm trying to say is that the free market is influenced. To some degree, it has to be. To some degree, right. it should be. What I thought you were saying, I, yeah. I just wanted to push back a little bit on the idea that that is that that is the main force because I don't think that that is. I think that if we aren't if we aren't engaging in the policy here at the policy level, other countries mm -hmm. are going to use policies that are going to impact us, and that right, has yeah. happened. And so when, um, and we, we, we'll talk about a little bit more on the globalization, whether that's good or bad or what degree that that's good or bad. Um, and this uh, episode, we're going to try to stay a little bit more on um, infrastructure. And so another thing that falls in that infrastructure is obviously um, power. And I'm just curious what your take is. We probably have pretty similar views on this as far as like what's the best, cleanest, and option for the future and what we should be moving towards and i just wonder how uh which would be nuclear in my opinion and i just wonder what your opinion on nuclear if you think that's feasible and uh if that were to happen how would what would it take to make that happen okay so i would say that it's a combination so right now what we've been doing is we've been trying to 
go to wind and um what was the other oh just wind and solar i think pretty much um there's some talk of using waves but that causes ecological damage to the oceans if you try to if you siphon the power from the waves so you don't really want to do that um there was a lot of hype about that a few years back i recall but then kind of died down because people realized that's going to be an ecological disaster um so at any rate um the problem with winds is is manifold two two problems with wind one is the the propellers that you make only last so long and then they become a pollution nightmare themselves um, and it's a very similar problem with the electric uh, vehicles uh, that you use in order to make electric vehicles you've got to use these batteries which are then depleted at some point and then what do you do with all the depleted batteries you gonna fire them at the sun uh, <laughs> like what do you what are you gonna do with all that um, so at any rate the the problem with the electric side of things uh whether it will be electric vehicles electric generation through wind or through you know other means is that you don't tend to have a lot of bang for your buck which is where nuclear comes in as well as i think there are better ways to do solar potentially uh solar right now what we're looking at has uh, a high manufacture cost uh, and you're gonna have to cover a lot of area with it I've seen solar updraft towers that seem promising. Uh, I don't know how well that would work and using more solar in certain locations. But basically when you have an area and you wanna power it and you wanna think about options, you, you look to the geography is just generally the best way to do things. If you have a good hydroelectric source, by all means, if you've got a great solar source, sure, you know, that's that's a great option. But overall, I think, Generally speaking, uh, if we did a better job of um, utilizing the nuclear fuel that we have, I think we would do uh, we could do a lot with nuclear. Uh, that would be the direction that a lot of people that have been thinking about this for a long time have been going. Yeah. Nuclear tends to have the least drawbacks. Uh, it creates the least pollution, and I'm worried more about the pollution as far as a uh, health hazard to humans and, and animals than I am worried about the global warming. Um, but if you're worried about global warming, you should be interested in nuclear energy. So yeah. the whole idea that you um, that you have to avoid nuclear in order to avoid to have uh, safe energy is kind of bizarre when you think about it. You just avoid places like that are high in volcanism. You know, if you <laughs> keep it close to the Pacific Rim, you know, with the, the uh, ring of fire there, that might not be the best place for a nuclear power plant. <laughs> or maybe just move it a little further inland if you're gonna consider tsunamis. It is nice to have that water from the ocean to cool your reactor plant, sure. That's, that's a great, but it's not worth the risk of meltdown from a tsunami. So there's some lessons to be learned from Fukushima, but that doesn't mean that nuclear energy is a terrible idea. There were lessons to be learned from Chernobyl that also didn't make it a bad idea. Chernobyl was a colossal, colossal failure of all precautions. Yeah. Uh, and the technology changed yeah. a lot and evolved and gotten a lot better. Um, mm -hmm. I think about these nuclear submarines, um, my friends that are on nuclear submarines and been on nuclear submarines and nuclear... Um, aircraft carriers and the safety is is 
not not an issue. And I think that's most people's concern is the safety and the cost. And we're talking about cost. Um, someone made a, a, a case recently that if you build one of anything, it's going to cost you a lot. But if you're building 10, you're going to figure out how to do it really, really effectively and more effective and cheaper. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of like you're saying, I, I like the idea of localized. If you have the option to do um, hydroelectric, do hydroelectric and nuclear. If you have the option of doing solar, do solar and uh, nuclear. If you, you know, using the resources that you have in addition to nuclear, but I think nuclear is the best backup option and widespread gives you the best results. Um, again, I think that people are just somewhat scared of it uh, or cautious of it, but I don't think that needs to be the case. Um, I'd love to see more techn technology invested into thorium reactors. Um, we, <clears throat> we recently, well, not recently, we a while ago had, I think you had got me onto thorium reactors. I thought those were fascinating. Um, I wish you did to me. Oh, I don't know. One of us, somebody somewhere came across thorium reactors. And I thought that was a pretty fantastic idea. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so there are a lot of options out there. The, pro the, the main thing that we, you know, from a national security point of view, is we've got to get away from oil, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, I disagree. Okay. Why? So, okay. So what we're using oil for is to power our, primarily our transportation network, right? Um, but we're also using it for energy. If we were not using it for, if we were not using oil and natural gas for as much energy production, like just general energy production as we are, then we have enough oil to run transportation. It used to be thought, you know, that we'd be out of oil in 100 years, right? And then we keep on finding more and more reserves and different processes to be able to, to manufacture oil. Um, and then on top of that, they've also discovered that oil is being generated way faster than they thought it was. They thought it took, you know, millions of years to generate oil. And then they found out that the conditions are actually right um, in, in more circumstances than they thought. And that oil is being generated by the earth at a, at a decent pace, not near as fast as we're consuming it right now, but it is being produced. So my, my point here is that if we just used it for transportation, uh, until we could get a better option or until we could figure out how to create cars that don't have batteries that are going to become a problem. Um, maybe a, a bioelectric battery of some sort. That would be really cool. I don't know how that would work. But anyways, um, it, if we can figure out um, transportation, uh, bringing down the cost of the gasoline versus um, not the cost of the gasoline, but sorry, the usage of the gasoline. Right. Uh, better wind ergonomics, not ergonomics, that's not the right <laughs> word, but you know what I'm talking about, aerodynamics. Right. Better aerodynamics on the trucking and better aerodynamics on the cars. We've, we've done a lot with that. Uh, lighter materials. Um, those materials happen to be made from oil products. I'm a big supporter that oil is, is a great resource, but everything should be used for what it's best suited for. And is, as long as we're using oil and coal and things like that to power our, uh, our energy production needs, then it's not being utilized well for other things. So, 
definitely. Yeah, no, I and and I I I'm not saying get away from it as in like completely disregard, but I think that if you bring nuclear and the amount of nuclear energy and other uh, sources, if nuclear gave you 40% and solar, wind, hydroelectric, all, all, all other gave you another 20%, and then you were able to just use 40% of oil, then you manufactured 20% or of that 40% or energy use, we manufacture 20% or 50% of that here in the U S because it's a lower volume needed. And we're able to use that much and produce that much ourselves. Then our dependency on other actors um, in the world becomes a lot less. So you're talking about having a a diverse portfolio of energy products there. And I think that we need to lower that way down on what we need to be dependent on oil and then the amount of oil that we do need, we need to manufacture a certain percentage of that here in the United States. That's my <clears throat> sort of larger opinion on all of that. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I was like going to say, it doesn't sound like you disagreed on any of that. Um, so um, I just think that the plausibility of any of that happening there's really just not many people talking about it. And that's the frustrating part. Um, you know, I think that's, that's why we're talking about it. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's the frustrating part for a lot of people is it's not being talked about. Um, I'm glad that we get the opportunity to talk about it here. Um, so let's go back to roads and bridges and infrastructure that, that side real fast. Um, so, you know, kind of on my soapbox, you know, where I, I like to, attack both sides um, or pick on both sides. Uh, you know, I don't think that we need these infrastructure packages that have, you know, a ridiculous amount of pork, you know, um, as, as they call it um, in the, <clears throat> you know, policy world. But I do think that a, you know, manufacturing chips, um, that, that is something that is a needs should be in a package, a infrastructure package. I think that the energy, like I said, um, coming up with some outline of what the ideal, um, portfolio or diversification of energy, um, usage should look like. Um, and then rails, do you think that we should have rails in the United States? Um, it's something you know, I've been thinking about recently, and uh, and I, I I know they did the high speed rails in China recent, uh, not recently, but you know over the last decade I believe, and it was a bureaucratic nightmare. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's everything that you could imagine, um, you know, from the government doing it, and then private companies taking it over, and then. I mean, like rails going to no place and like, you know, no one's using certain ones and, you know, it costs is outrageous and it's, it's a big, absolutely disaster the way it was done. And it was just pushed through and crammed down everyone's throat as like a, yay, we're the, you know, going to have the leading, you know, rail system in, in the whole world. And, you know, it ended up being turning out fairly horrible. Um, so I don't want that, but I'm, I'm just wondering if you have any um, opinion on that um, or what what you might think would be a good idea. I don't remember who to credit this for, but I did see a video that was talking about that, and he had some 
some great points. If you go to Europe, the cities are all relatively close together and um, you can create railway systems that go across Europe to connect those major cities. Uh, the density in Europe is generally speaking much more conducive to rail systems. Um, across England, same situation. In the United States, definitely for cargo, it makes sense to go long distance like that. But the Amtrak has struggled, you know. Uh, many of those other passenger rails have struggled to have enough passengers. Um, the And I don't think it's because it's not built out to enough places because that was what China thought. Oh, if we build everywhere, every, people will go, you know, from little town to little town and whatnot. But that's not the way people travel. So that's that's the problem. If there's not a high enough density, the rails just don't make sense. Um, so there are places where it does make sense that it's not being used. Um, for instance, uh, you and I talked about Nashville, a good commuter rail system that it's really built where an X would probably work, but you'd have to be very careful because it's it'd be it would require a lot of buy-in um, to get people to use it. It could go sideways real easily. Yeah. Um, and that's just in one area. So when you're talking about like uh, city to city, like a, a Nashville to uh, Atlanta type route, it, that's a very long distance. Um, and I just don't know that uh, building that infrastructure would really have a, a great payoff. Um, when you do things because you think it'd be great to have it versus doing things because you know it would make money, there's a totally <laughs> different um, outcome. <laughs> So that's why when you do build a business, when you launch a, a company, they require that you have an in-depth business plan because that shows that you put the thought into it and, and you know that there's money there to be made versus, you know, I'd really like to have this thing, you know, that's, yeah. that's the difference. They're trying to root out the, I'd really like to have this. And the government doesn't really have a good, um, uh, a good way to do that. Sometimes if somebody really wants to have something and they make it their pet project and it ends up happening and you have a bridge to nowhere as is yeah. infamously made. And I, it, was that Alaska has that? I don't remember, but I've heard I feel of like that. it was. Yeah. But you talk about like uh, California has spent millions to McKinsey, the infamous, you know, McKinsey uh, consulting firm on building their railways. And then it's like, oh, they come back and they're like, oh, we need, we need more funding for the planning stage. And it's like, okay, here's millions more dollars to McKinsey planning firm, you know? Okay. So we're, we're still just need, we're just going to keep planning this and planning this and planning this. We're getting so close now. And then, you know, here it is a decade later and there is no high-speed rail <laughs> in California, you know, like that, uh, you know, they you're happy to cash the checks and keep it going, you know, and this is great, you know, plan, but you know, it never really materializes. Um, mm -hmm. So well, that has well, to do with setting expectations at the front end. If yeah. you if you set manage your expectations correctly, then you're going to have a good result. But that's the that type of situation is easy to come out with any time that there's government involvement because the government is really good at funding things without having clear expectations. Yeah, I think um, you know one thing I think about is uh, <clears throat> having some sort of small like commuter network within a city um i think is a fantastic idea mm -hmm. um but it needs to be very much a local plan you know because each location is going to have 
you know, different needs. And I feel like a lot of people hear that might say, okay, well, you're just going to get a lot of local corruption if you, you know, you do that, um, and which you might. But then I think about, you know, what if you were to have a infrastructure system, a rail, you know, system that went, you know, east to west, mm-hmm. you know, across the southern, you know, side and then across the northern, you know, New York, Chicago, out to Seattle or something. And then you have one from Atlanta out to San Diego, you know, in, and these are cargo only type things. So you can move a massive amount of goods and services inner, uh, you know, across the United States in a rapid speed. And, you know, you can stop it at certain points and have unload and load off points. Um, but you get semis off the road. The idea high speed cargo rail. Yeah. And basically the idea would be is, you know, we have the trucker shortage and we, we have the, you know, just, it doesn't make economic sense to take a truck loaded with all this stuff from one side of the country to the other side of the country, drop it off and drive back empty. So you got to do, it's just, the system isn't built real well for inner, continental uh transportation um and so doing something like this would allow that to become really really easy and it it would potentially drop the cost down and so you get other players but rather than just amazon you know with endless amount of resources you know being the only game in town you know you 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 give like roads open up the ability for so many more businesses to get in there because the infrastructure is for everyone where right. this would give everyone the opportunity to use that infrastructure at a cheap, you know, way, so you can conduct business more easier. Sort of layer it allows easier entry access for smaller players, which I think mm-hmm. is always good. Um, which is part of the reason um, with satellites, and we'll get to that in a minute because I want to talk about cell phones and that infrastructure and the internet um, is another thing, but. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so as an idea, and I don't exactly know how that works, but I think that that's something I really haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but I think it's more feasible because when you're talking about building a rails through cities, that's where everybody lives. So you're talking about eminent domain laws, you're talking about moving things around, digging up neighborhoods, you know, trying to get all this to work is going to be a massive problem. But if you go from a hub outside of Nashville, outside of Georgia, uh, Atlanta, outside of Dallas, outside of, you know, Phoenix, you know, whatever. And it just goes by, you can offload and then take those products into the city, you know? So it creates a hub and it gets all these semis off the interstates and interstates are just full right now with just semis all the time, constantly on the interstates. And it's frustrating. It's really, really frustrating um, to be a commuter and just be wall to wall with semis, you know? And it's like, if we could get some of those semis off the road and it just actually be commuters commuting to and from work, I think that would help alleviate a lot of problems in our cities in the first place. And uh, so that that's one possible thing that I thought of. Um, and I don't know where I heard that from to be honest um it has some 
some promise to it. I, I kind of like it. The first thought that came to mind is if you're building uh, train lines, first of all, you've got to have bi-directional. You don't want to have where like a single track has to be, you know, whatever. You, you need bi-directional tracks, possibly um, more than two lanes. Uh, but anyways, because um, that's we're talking about massive amounts of traffic, which would be happening all the time, creating all kinds of noise. So you're going to have to think about noise quarters for the entire direction that well you could almost do it underground potentially and you do it one way it's just a circle it's like the beauty of a roundabout yeah. you even if you're in nashville or you it goes let's say this way up to new york out to chicago seattle uh california back around if it if it goes that way and you need something in Nashville, but it's coming from Atlanta, it still goes all the way around. And mm -hmm. the beauty of it is that would be faster than having two rails trying to coordinate two different directions all the time. And so it will take still a day to get all the round because everything is just constantly going in one direction all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I obviously haven't, haven't I'm not yeah. an engineer. <laughs> let's yeah. just put it that way yeah. i don't know exactly what the pros and cons would be and the cost specific dit uh you know disadvantages might be yeah but that's my shipping thing. the cost of shipping is always going to be attractive from getting from coast to coast so you don't have to connect the coast to coast what you actually would end up having i think it would be uh one out to the midwest so across the northeast through the midwest down the mississippi potentially um and then back um down probably nashville area maybe all the way down to louisiana i don't know uh like through um uh st st louis area possibly uh yeah st louis makes sense and then anyways you, you snake back across the the coast so you do a loop like that and then back up um because anywhere that you would want to get on the seaboard from chicago not chicago whatever that place is Los Angeles, say. So from Los Angeles, anywhere you'd want to go towards the other coast, you would do that by sea. You, there's no reason to go across land. Um, it would be faster to do it by sea or at least way more inexpensive um, because expense is something that you really, you're going to run into with a, a high speed rail. As far as putting the rails underground, the problem with that is if you go underground, you've got ventilation issues, you'd have cave-in potentials, you'd have all kinds of maintenance issues with water getting in. Um, you, I think you would probably do something like they do the baffling, the sound baffling along the highway, and maybe with a little bit of an overlap like, like that, so mm -hmm. that you've got uh, a sound trap for the trains because honestly that noise would be awful because it needs to be fairly continuous <laughs> but yeah. i mean i don't know i again I'm, to not the highways being I'm just free. trying to <laughs> i'm just trying to uh think of creative solutions um mm -hmm. that would get us a bias another 70 to 100 years you know and and, yeah. and allow the infrastructure of america to work and allow business businesses the opportunity to thrive and uh and alleviate some of the points which is like the trucker shortage i don't think yeah. that's going away people have talked about how that is a problem and it's it's been a problem and it's just going to continue to be a problem mm -hmm. i think when we talked about the healthcare episode 
um, you know, burnout with healthcare, I think that that is going to continue to be a problem. And I think that until we structurally change a system and change a little of those incentives, I just think that there's structural problems everywhere in our society is really what this a whole Johnny Random show is turning into. You know, there's structural problems with the healthcare system. There's structural problems with education. Um, and we had some solutions to that. There's structural problems with, you know, with a lot of these things that we're talking about. So um, before we get too far, um, um, off on in the you know engineering world that you know I'm not an expert in. Um, let's talk about satellites and internet. Um, again, this is something that to me, I think that in a modern society to function, you have to have the free expression of speech, right? You need to have communication, and you need to have um, for a democracy as huge and vast as ours and diverse as ours. You need to have a interconnected system of communication and the internet allows for that. And I think so when you're talking about what, what will continue to make us thrive, I think that everyone needs to be able to get access to, um, to the internet. I think it's very important. There's rural communities that have just horrible internet connections and there's places in this country where you don't have cell phone signal and things like that. And I think that that's a, that's a problem. And I think that we need to find some way to address that. And you can't just, you know, the free, this is another thing where it's like, uh, you know, well, let the free market do it. And it's like, well, free market going to build satellites, shoot them into space, you know, control them, you know, like, okay, yeah, I'm a small business owner and I'm going to make, you know, Johnny random cell phone service, you know, to compete against AT&T, you know, I mean, like, that's just not feasible to do. I don't have the resources um, to do, to do that. So in other words, opening up the ability for users, I don't know exactly how that will work, but I think that it needs to, there needs to be some conversation about usage of satellites and usage of other things. And they, I know, uh, was it Sprint and AT&T use the same towers or something? And so it's like, you're getting the same service. So really, what are you paying? What's the difference? Is just paying for the customer service, the experience, which is both horrendous, probably, you know, like they're both just big monolithic, you know, corporations. Um, so I think that that, you know, the technology that runs on those towers is different. But anyways... Yeah, well, you know, and we need, we do need competition in that space. And that's where it's like the free market has taken this to the point where, um, and we, I wanted to get into that a little bit with like tech, the, we'll, we'll do an episode on tech, um, big tech companies. It's like, they're in a point where you don't want to innovate if you're in tech because you already cornered the market. So there's no incentive to innovate. And <clears throat> I think that's where we're at with some of these, issues when it comes to, you know, satellites and, and internet. It's like, why would I innovate? Because I already own the market. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So the government either has to break up the monopoly or um, allow some way for more people to get into the game and, you know, drive that cost down, better, better customer service. Because if, if this little company over here is taking all this, uh, you know, um, you know, the share of our market, 
we're going to have to get better. If we're constant feedback is we're having horrible customer service, uh, maybe we need to not outsource that to some foreign country where they can't speak the same language. Maybe we need to do it in-house so that we can actually interface with our customers and give a better product, you know, or better experience. So um, yeah, any thoughts that's on where, that? Well, that's where antitrust comes in. So antitrust um, regulations are to try to break up monopolies when they happen so that they don't just edge out anybody that can compete because those people who can compete are the people who are going to drive innovation. Uh, innovation a happens. banging job. Well, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, they're not doing a great job, you know. All, but they're, you have- not a, they're not allowed to, ha- to be, you know. Those smaller companies really are not allowed to be. Many of them, many companies can get the investment capital because they have a good business plan and come out and do some things that – I mean, you're talking about Sprint and AT&T, right? Have you ever heard of Cricket? Have you ever heard of um, uh, Verizon? Was at one point an upstart? A lot of these companies came along and they had a business plan that could challenge you know, AT&T. Um, and they did. And that's the reason that it drove the improvements that we have. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is that the government has a vested interest and a, um, an interest in from the perspective of justice uh, uh, in breaking up those monopolies and keeping them from uh, keeping the competition down. And if the government does a good job of that, then it's not very long before innovation begins to drive things. We're getting to the point in, um, in the microchip industry where uh, Intel and um, AGP, I think it is, uh, wow, just can't recall the name of it. But uh, those two companies that make the chips, um, they tend to compete with each other, but they there's not a lot of competition. There's no real outside competition. Finally, Apple decided they were going to roll their own. So now there's a third contender for chips with the uh, M1 chips that they have in their new MacBooks. But the, the point is, is low competition keeps the innovation down. Um, and so even though tech is evolving relatively quickly, it's doing so because uh, the competition as far as chips goes, uh, trying to think of how to word this, even though there's only three manufacturers of chips, there are enough desire to have um, better phones and better tablets and better computers that it's continuing to drive the competition between those two companies or three companies now. Um, again, it's that competition that really drives the innovation. The, the government can't mandate innovation. It can only break up the monopolies that are co- hindering innovation. So, Well, I, I just don't see that happening very often. I understand that that's the point and that's in theory, that's all well and good. But what I tend to see more is that these companies um, go down a K Street and lobby you know, the legislation to be written with exceptions for their company, you know, and so now, oh, you want to break up this whatever, but, you know, exempt my company XYZ, whatever. And so like, you know, they get paid off and they write that out. So then you think that they're passing this legislation, but it's not actually affecting the main player that is actually probably designed to uh, break up. So Mm -hmm. you you end up with a situation more often than not, where, you know, this is where people like talk about money and politics. And I, I think that this is where people need to actually be focusing their attention 
the money that's corrupting politics and is actually corrupting the legislation being written, not the candidates running for election. Oh, you're paying, you know, this person. I mean, like it can be that, but I, I think that, um, you know, there's more in, in my, you know, research of the topic, this corruption happens in so many different places. <laughs> like it's not just like one place where the corruption is happening. And when people throw out terms like money and politics, we need to get money out of, polit out of politics. Both the left and the right agree to that. The left means usually, um, well, I don't always know exactly if they, they know what they're saying, but I think that they see that things don't work out for the little guy. It always works out for the guy at the top. And so mm -hmm. they have heard that, you know, in general, that it's these outside influences, these corporations, you know, and they're not wrong that I just don't think that they can quite define it. And I think the right sees the same thing is like, you say you're going to do X, Y, and Z, and somebody must have paid you because now you're voting for this, you know, whatever, you know, spending bill or whatever. And so like, there's corruption here, money and politics, we need to get it out. I think everybody can agree, but I don't think, I don't think that there's a huge, um, or that there's, I, I think the reporting on this has been bad. You know, I think that the um, journalists are not doing their jobs here because I think that there's a story to unearth an easy story here somewhere and just that's not being told. And I think that if it was being told, I think that the public would be able to, you know, galvanize around it and, and be able to put a stop to some of these, you know, issues that we're having, you know, the money in politics. Um, I think you see that with the, with the legislation recently about the uh, banning stock trading, you know, that was, that was a public outcry. And then they said, well, we need to do something about it and actually got done, even though you, you wouldn't, that's not something you would expect them to write legislation against themselves, you know, buying stocks, but it actually, I don't actually know if it made it through the house or the Senate or whichever one it started. And I don't think it's finished yet um, as of when we're recording this, but I think the fact that there is legislation being written is a huge win for America. And I just want that to happen on on so much more oh, now apply it everywhere you know <laughs> let's mm -hmm. dig in let's find these more pockets of corruption and report on them and get uh get legislation written and get some change done i think that's yeah. a beautiful thing so well i uh hate to be a little pessimistic about that but it's it would be very easy um in my mind i'm thinking like how how this would work it'd be very easy to write legislation which is unenforceable that makes everybody feel good because it's now on the books but then in fact nobody actually is responsible for checking it so it continues to happen anyway let me let me let me submit something in my philosophy towards politics most legislation and most change that you want to see doesn't happen after the legislation is written but because the legislation is written years later, maybe a long time later, in the case of slavery, right, in the case of uh, certain civil rights things, these things were written and not enforced. And then somebody came along and said, I'm going to really, really harp on this and get this change. Here's the law that's being violated, and they're able to change it and set a new precedent. But it's only because somebody passed that law originally 
which gave them standing to do some things. I think mm-hmm. that that's a pattern in American history when yep. there's things and I can't just rattle them off off the top of my head, but I've, I've heard this in a couple different places where people are talking about, oh, they used this law and they were able to get this done and public opinion was on their side. And so there was change that would have happened if the law wasn't originally written. So we need to write these laws, even if we don't have a ton of hope that they will pay off in the short term, but it might give some courageous politician down the road something to stand on. Yeah. And, and so I think it's worth doing some of these things that even though they might feel a little bit hopeless and I hope uh, it's by sincere hope that some young ambitious person out here heard those words and said, you know what, it's worth fighting the cause, even if I don't see it in my lifetime and they run for politics and they are able to pass something and eventually that change will come about. You know, I, I, I don't know. That's just my hope. Somebody's inspired by that concept because it's not something that people talk about very often. Yeah. We talk a lot. Of I'm hoping some show. engineer is uh, inspired by our train talk and our going in circles around the country. <laughs> going in circles. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Got to keep things rolling, man. Yeah. So um, let's see. Infrastructure programs. We talked about nuclear. We talked about. Uh, a lot of different things. I didn't have anything else on my list to talk about. Did you have any closing words? Uh, I will say, yes, I will say something. So <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> well, now I'm not. No, I'm just kidding. So um, no, I, I'm very grateful for the infrastructure that we have. Um, it had to be here before it could be used. And I would say that chances are that a lot of people didn't see the use of it when it was being laid. That's the, the beauty of infrastructure. Um, while that's true, you also have to be um, looking ahead. You have to be actually anticipating. Um, when we put in our highways, we didn't put highways to nowhere. We didn't put bridges to nowhere for the most part. We built in things that actually made sense. We tried to understand the fundamentals of, of how our country was laid out and and a good solution that would work. We didn't build just straight rails and, and be like, oh, we don't really need our road system to be any better. Let's just build rails instead because it's so much more efficient. Well, it is, but for what, you know? Um, so there's a lot of foresight that went into the infrastructure that we have from the phones to the electricity to the roads and rails. Um, and we need to continue with that type of foresight not just blind optimism, but, you know, some numbers, for instance, you know, look at, look at how things are with an eye to how things could be. Um, and I, I am appreciative of the government's involvement in doing that. They probably messed up along the way, but they're, we're, def- we're better off for them doing it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we've all benefited from a, a functioning highway system more than we maybe realize. So, um, if we get a good functioning uh, rail system and inter uh, international nation, what do you call that? International. International. Yeah, it is an international in this case. International, um, international rail system. Yeah, I I think we would benefit from it. Uh, as you're talking about it, that one actually really kind of 
maybe excited. So, but I mean, there's a lot of logistics to work out with that, with um, sound issues, with um, uh, right of way issues, trying to get the right of ways to build these tracks. There are a lot of tracks around the country, and maybe we could reuse the majority of, of what we would need. I don't know. That'd be really cool. But at any rate, it's going to change towns when you have small towns with high speed rails coming through with, with cargo, high speed being probably only 80 miles an hour because you don't want to run cargo much faster than that. Uh, we would definitely have to build a lot of underpasses for these these uh, trains to, to be able to go underneath the roads or overpasses or maybe a combination of both, you know, so. But I am, I'm very grateful for what's been done in the past and there's a lot that we can do in the future. One thing we actually have to appropriate the money to doing that instead of tree justice. Um, there's a place for caring for the environment and there's also a place for infrastructure. You don't need to be pretending one is the other because they're, <laughs> that's, that's duplicitous and it destroys that trust and that buy-in that the American people need to have in order for this infrastructure plan to work. So that's my final word. Very well said. I think that that was part of the thing is like a lot of environmental like uh, pipe dream stuff got thrown into about Biden's um, plan and a lot of the actual infrastructure like stuff sort of got scaled back. And so that's why I said I originally I didn't support that. But I do. Obviously, I think it's come across that I support an infrastructure plan, you know, in this mm -hmm. episode. Um, so I'll say my final um, words is. When Eisenhower built the um, the grid, you're right. He built it uh, the the grid, the um, highway grid, the, the uh, interstate system. It was there actually follows the lines of latitude and longitude across, and it starts at 10, 20, 30, and the highway 40 and 50, 60 on up, and it goes this way in like this way's in the tens and this way's in the fives. Um, it was thought out. It was intentional. It was for a national security reason. Um, kind of a Cold War era, you know, we need to be able to get tanks from this side of the country to that side of the country in case there's, you know, a, you know, a nuclear war. Um, I think we need to, in this age, apply a sense of urgency to this infrastructure and think about it in terms of national security. Um, but I don't think that that should just be a blanket to just write checks, you know, and, and do stuff. I think it needs to be thought out. I think it needs to be well executed. Um, I think there needs to be a lot of conversations about it and it can't be roads and bridges to nowhere. Um, the other thing that I will say about infrastructure, I think there's a lot of conservatives that say, well, how are we gonna pay for it? How are we gonna pay for it? Infrastructure is probably the spending that pays for itself. When you can move goods <laughs> faster, you're going to have more transactions, more taxes, um, higher standards of living, more people able to move and do uh, freely. It, infrastructure is the one thing that probably pays for itself 10 times, 20 times over. Think about the interstates, think about roads, think about bridges, think about electricity, the fact that you have electricity in your house. Um, if we could expand that to nuclear energy, energy independence as a country, um, the ability to have internet access anywhere in the country. Think about how much better the quality of life people will be able to enjoy and therefore translate that into um, 
you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but also citizenry that is, you know, more productive and more productive society and able to compete in the global economy much more effectively and also not be at the mercy of other countries when this uh, global system comes cracking apart, um, which I think that it is on the verge of doing if it's not already cracked beyond repair. Um, I don't think that it is. I think that it could be very easily. Um, but I think that this, the, you know, it's like a ripping the seam slowly out of the, you know, the, you know, it's, it's, it's fraying uh, and it's, it's coming apart, the global system that we've got, all come to know post-World War II. And as a country, we're not ready for it. As a society, we're not ready for it. Um, but get ready for it, prepare for the worst, hope for the best and work for the best, work for the best outcome. And that's what this is about. This is about working for the best outcome. And uh, I'm pretty passionate about this topic. Well, I'm passionate about everything we talk about, so I can't even say that. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's my final, 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 final parting thoughts on uh, infrastructure. And so we will see you next time on the Johnny Random Show. Thank you so much. Uh, please like and subscribe to this channel. Uh, we greatly appreciate all the subscribers and the support that we're getting. So thank you so much. Until next time.